Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today, I'm joined by Nicola Elliott, co-founder and creative director of Neom Organics. In today's episode, we're going to discuss how to change careers and why it's important to have a plan before you do so, as well as the importance of personal brand, no matter what industry you are in. As always on this podcast, I want everyone to take away at least one piece of actionable advice. So if you learn something valuable from this conversation, something that makes you reflect, think, or something that inspires you, don't waste that energy. Take action. Use the advice and the skills and the tools of all of the wonderful people that I get to talk to each week on this show and use their knowledge to create positive impact in your own life and in the lives of those around you. All right, let's dive in to today's episode. Nicola, welcome to the Power Hour podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for asking me. Well, I've been trying to uh, schedule this for a while. We met, I mean, we met a few years ago, actually, and I'm not exactly sure now where or when or how, but I have really been looking forward to doing this interview. I'm always so impressed. Honestly, I'm always so impressed by female entrepreneurs who not only create incredible businesses, but who manage to maintain them, scale them, and also have a personal brand as well. Because I mean, you know, the back end, the front end, it is a lot of work, probably a lot more work than it actually appears from the outside when we just see these snapshots of people's lives. And we, you know, we talk about woman boss this and, you know, top tips. And we read short articles about, you know, women that have it all and do it all. But I think, yeah, from what I know of of people who've set up their own businesses and founders, it is such hard work. So I'm forever impressed. And I'd love to start off today by hearing about your journey to becoming a founder because I know that you started off in journalism right? I did well thank you that's quite a nice intro Adrian I'm very flattered and uh yeah you're right first off it is a lot harder than people think we're actually 17 years old at Neon and I remember like way back in the beginning Nikki Kennard who owns Space NK saying to me it takes about 10 years to create a really good British brand and I'm thinking oh sod that I mean 10 years (laughs) And by the way, this is like, a you know, year three or something. I was like, no, that's ridiculous. And I think she was absolutely right. I think it takes that amount of time to really forge a great connection across all the touch points that you need a brand to do for it to be loved and trusted and for you to come back and have that relationship with. I think you could have a really quick overnight success in many cases with the right funding, but to really kind of have that brilliant, rich relationship that you want and you need from your customers, I think it actually takes that long. And and mm. that is hard. And, and to your point, you know, people don't see that. I mean, Oliver and I always say, we feel we've kind of climbed up Mount Everest in flip-flops. I mean, that is the level of, you know, of preparation that we didn't have. Um, and and I was a journalist, as you say, I had a completely different career and there's definitely commonalities. I'd learn about customers. I'd learn what makes women tick. I know what good ideas are. I know what women want in many regards, but I hadn't 
started a brand or or done anything in business. I mean, God, I can't even, couldn't even, I was going to say, but really can't even, to the truth, add up. I am not you know, an operational business person in any regard. So, um, so, so, so yeah. what was the catalyst then? What, what if you, you know, you definitely sound like you have a lot of confidence and I think we, no it's a great thing because people need that confidence to say actually yeah I know what women want I know what good ideas are I know how to market to to this audience but what was the catalyst for you to say okay I'm working in journalism and I actually want to start my own business well I think the confidence came from in journalism clearly you're writing cover lines and you've kind of got live data as to whether that's working you know did they like that story did they like that cover line did that sell the magazine so I think that was a green light for me that I knew, yeah, that, that worked, that sold, or people like that. So I, I kind of had that confidence from, from seeing my, that actual work in action. Um, but to then turn it into a business, well, I don't think it was ever one thing. Everyone always thinks about this kind of light bulb moment, don't they? And for me, my I came from a very entrepreneurial family. Uh, although my dad sold cars in the north of England, it's a very different thing. There was this real sort of can-do attitude. There was this real emphasis on, you know, um, uh, on the importance of being able to work for yourself. That would have been a lot more sort of pushed in my family than going and doing something you know in a in a in a very esteemed services industry so I think Mm. that probably sort of set the tone for me um and so I had I loved being a journalist I loved the fusing together of words and pictures and things and trends I was very entrepreneurial sort of had this entrepreneurial um push from my family um and I am sort of the original jack of all trades, I think. And, and that is quite good for an entrepreneur. You know, I, I know that I don't know a lot about a lot of things as well. And, mm. and actually that ironically is quite helpful because you sort of can pull bits and pieces together, but you also have to become good at asking other people for their skills. And I mm. think that that was very helpful for me. I wasn't absolutely brilliant at any, any one thing. And so the ingredients, I think, were there relatively early on. And um, and I started quite young. You know, I started Neom at sort of 26. So um, Really young. I did, That's really yeah, young. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't have a lot to lose at that stage. I always think it's sort of mm. harder in many ways if you've got the kids and the mortgage. And, and that's not precluding because I think there's, you know, that you've come with an, an awful lot more life skills at that stage. But I, I, I personally didn't have an awful lot to lose at that stage. And I think I probably had that young person sort of, oh, well, if it doesn't work out, I'll, you know, go to Ibiza for the summer. I, felt mm-hmm. I, know, that was my, I know that was my attitude, so... Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting because I'm big on, you know, understanding people's mindset, understanding where those little seeds are planted. And, you know, you can't really underestimate, I think, the impact, you know, you said about being growing up in an environment where it was kind of expected or, or, or normal to think, yeah, start your own business, you know, be an entrepreneur, create something of your own and and not have the, you know, some people's families that it was almost it was almost that you had to especially friends that I know you know have security and like this illusion of job security you know you couldn't possibly go and you know do something by yourself it's so risky when actually it's funny I feel like it's ironic because when you when you have autonomy and agency and you own the thing you have more security arguably than when you have someone else you know signing your paycheck and saying whether you've got a job or not well, I suppose in the end you do, but I suppose there's a there's a there's a path of which you don't, and that's all about you know where your own risk appetite is and actually what you think is risky. I mean, before I started Neom, I got offered a job as an editorship in a magazine, which actually ironically has since closed, 
uh, folded. But but I remember ringing my dad on on the way home in the cab and telling him, and he was like kind of disappointed. And I was like, why are you why are you disappointed? This is this is an amazing opportunity, and it's you know way more money. And he said, if you take this job, I know that you will never do something for yourself because it will be so comfortable for you. You'll never want to then give up that big salary. I can't deny that that kind of influence was pretty profound, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've read that you said it's important to have a career plan and that, you know, you said you were very strategic and you always had a plan. It wasn't just, oh, you know, jump and make it up as you go along. And I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, I definitely hear a lot of that kind of advice that says to people, you know, what have you got to lose? Go for it. And, you know, you can just um, quit your job tomorrow and just, you know, sit at your kitchen table and come up with some ideas or write a book or start a business. And it's so, you know, it just seems so unrealistic for so many people that they just think, well, actually that's not realistic. You know, again, if you've got a mortgage, if you've got commitments, maybe you are quite risk averse and you don't really want to just quit your job tomorrow and see how it goes. So yeah, how important do you think that it is for people to have a plan? And can you share a little bit more, I guess, about what people should include when they're thinking about planning to change careers? Sure. Well, I mean, there's no hard and fast rules with any of these things. And I think you've just got to be really true to yourself and what your own appetite is. And, you know, if you're someone who's going to stress and worry all night versus someone who absolutely, you know, loves the the, the idea of doing something really risky, then you've got to know that about yourself, right? I, I reckon I'm somewhere in the middle. And what worked for me was going down initially to sort of four days a week and then and then starting me, I'm on the side. And I've always thought, actually, that I would never have done it a different way. There's a lot of things I would have done differently, but not that. Because what it allowed me to do was just to test the green shoots of the idea whilst risking the without risking the day job. Now, that's not to say that, it, it, you know, if it didn't work, I'd go, oh, there we go. That was my chance gone. And I possibly would have started something else and then maybe something else after and something else after that but it allowed me to balance those two things at once you know to keep that sort of that salary coming in to keep my hand in with the professional sort of um uh, world that I was working in and the context that I had yet to to work on me I'm on the side and it wasn't until we actually went to a trade show um and then I got you know x amount of orders and thought actually that was a live test of selling the thing and it did sell and and therefore I think I'll I'll jump and and listen there was still a huge risk involved in that that certainly wasn't a green light for oh and therefore this is going to be a success but it felt like it was a really great test bed and so mm. and so I and I think you know if you're at that point going oh I can't manage to work six days a week doing four days doing my day job and, and two days um, and only having one day in a weekend I think if that's your issue then you, you might be sort of stumped in the first place because we all know how hard it is to work so I would always advise doing that and burning the candle a bit at both ends whilst you whilst you get yourself going and um, yeah it was that kind of that was the first step for me but in terms of making a plan I think I think it was hugely important for me to have a plan and and one sort of hard and fast plan and then one element that sort of allowed some flexibility within it I think this is more so for women it was very much so when I started sort of you know nigh on 20 years ago um because the reality is you've got to factor in 
if you want children, that time when you're going to take some downtime. And, you know, that's a whole other debate and uh, something that I think we, we need to fix and help women with an awful lot more in this country. But the fact remains, you know, you are the one who is going to be having the baby and taking that time. Is it three weeks? Is it three years? That's up to you. But I was aware of that and I did see older colleagues of mine going and not being able to come back. Um, now, mm. this is in the time, of course, where there was no such thing as flexi working. But um, but it, I still saw the complexities compared to men and thought it was very important to figure out what I was going to do. And if I was going to start a business, figure out at what stage I wanted that to be at before I was looking to take that break. And again, look, you can't make these hard and fast decisions at 24, but you should think about it. It always surprises me when people don't think about it until after the birth of the second child. And then, you know, yes. their confidence has dipped and they maybe need money, they may be forced into something else. It really is something that I, well, my daughter's only 12, but, you know, I'm absolutely forced her to think that that's something that she needs to think about way in advance of that happening unfortunately that's just the way it is <laughs> yeah you know what it's so interesting that you kind of raised that point around around women in the workplace or entrepreneurs having to really think about these decisions of, of let's be honest there's only so much time energy and resource that we have and I think it's really important as well how you said about you know, not just thinking about it, but actually talk to other people and be honest with them and ask other mothers or other friends or, you know, to really be honest with you about, okay, what was that experience like? And, you know, how, yeah, how was it for you in your, whether it was financially, whether it was emotionally, whether it was just actually that having the energy to split. And I don't mean energy in terms of all oh, sleepless nights, you feel tired. I mean, the emotional energy to be creative, to be engaged, to really focus on something when you're also wanting to be engaged and focused on you know your baby which is nothing wrong with that I think women are really really sold a lie when it comes to you know you should want to have kids you should want to have a career you should want to have both and I actually think that I don't, I don't know this, this is an unpopular opinion you know but mm. you know this idea that you're just a mum if you stay at home or you know there's mm. a there's, there's a breadwinner and a homemaker well for a lot of households there's probably two breadwinners and no homemaker and then that doesn't really work either so I think sure. it's a really really great point that actually a lot of women probably we yeah. just need to have this conversation and be honest about, you know, what's the reality going to be like and then assess, you know, if and when it's for them and not just, yeah, like you say, just kind of go along with it and then afterwards go, shit, what do I do now? For sure. And, I, you know, I think it's sort of not as binary as, as, you know, the conversation has stopped at. You know, it's not, well, you're a working mother, you're a non-working mother. There's now opportunities that sort of fit in slightly gray spaces between that you know you can work with your partner a bit more you can work part-time capacity businesses can be set up that you know have aspirations to be billion dollars as much as businesses that work around you know your family or personal preferences aspirations times there's not one size fits all it's not foot to the gas or nothing um mm. so i think that's really important as well and i think you know we we need to see examples of how of how that works and, and businesses flow you know i put my foot to the gas in certain years more than i have other years dependent on not just what works for my family but um where my where my um aptitude is for that or my appetite mm. so i should say and 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 that's fine too you know um so you, you the you the business should work for you it, it, it's that's one of the joys of, of having a business 
it's mm. your thing and and therefore you know whether you sit in a pink office or a blue office or you work from home or you work three hours or you work in the middle of the night it, it's you're not a slave to it it should be the other way around and i think mm. we sometimes lose sight of that so yeah i yeah. think too many too many examples of either these kind of career women on one side who are who are working all the hours godsend or, or mums stay at home and and there's a lot of fun to be had in the midway spaces yeah absolutely and of course at the moment when it comes to the world of work everyone's talking about you know it's changed like never before and you know I keep hearing this word of you know it's this this new normal and this new world of work and I mean of course of course the pandemic has changed how people work but personally I think it's always changing every single decade you could argue there has been you know huge change so whether that's technology digital media social media just everything constantly changes but of course post-pandemic you know the the shift to hybrid and people wanting to work from home and everything I suppose from how we shop how we advertise how we communicate all of these things will continue to change but as you mentioned you know your business is not brand new you've got experience you've probably seen a lot of these changes and had to adapt and innovate your, your own business so what do you think are what do you think are the biggest challenges for anyone listening, anyone thinking of starting their own business today? What do you think the biggest challenges are that they will face? Well, I think you've got to think for yourself. I mean, unfortunately, I think we live in a society where people want the rules. They're, what's the answer? Well, sorry, there isn't always one answer. You know, it's like there's not one best face cream. There's not five things that you should have in your wellbeing toolkit. That's not at home working or stay or, or in an office we're moving into the gray zone and that's lovely and it opens up opportunities for us but people quite often get lost I find in that I think when people aren't given really clear guidance they can flounder and I think it's some great opportunities opening up for people to be able to devise lifestyles that work for them whether that's a new business that you're starting that has no office and you meet in the pub every Thursday afternoon or, or or whatever it may be, or, or a new brand that works in a new way to new consumers. But we're going to have to start thinking outside of the box a bit more and and not rely on, you know, apart from our, uh, just as our conversation before, there's two options. There's not two options anymore. There's a multitude of different ways of doing things. And you have to test and learn and figure out what works for you, for your brand, for your business, for your people, for your culture. And it'll be very different to the next person. And I think that's as exciting as actually probably it seems scary to a lot of people. Um, so I think the future is going to be about that sort of personalization, that individualization, whether it comes to a product or a service or it comes to the way in which you um start your business yeah i agree and it's i don't know you must hear this but i often hear when i try to you know really understand what's what's holding people back if they say to me you know i've got this idea and maybe i could do it or i could do it one day a week or i could you know and it goes on and it goes on and, and for whatever reason there's a barrier or there's something stopping them from starting and now whenever yes. i try and understand what that is often people will say and you must hear this as well or you probably did well the industry's already saturated you know there's every you know whether it's the well-being industry whether yeah. it's you know technology whether it's podcasting whatever it is people will say to me 
well, you know, I've got to have this groundbreaking niche or this USP and actually everything's already been done. You know, it's 2022, you can't even get, you know, an Instagram handle, everything's taken, everything's gone. And I kind of think, well, if that's, you know, if that's your attitude, then obviously, you know, but (laughs) also do you really have to have something that's never been done or seen before to enter the market? Like, what do you think? Adrian, this is exactly what I say. It is 100% the number one reason people don't start something. And I remember when I started Neon, my dad said to me, he said, you don't need to reinvent the wheel, just do something better. And I always say this to people, why would you try? Why would you try and do something really new? That's not to say if you've got some amazing groundbreaking idea, you've thought of the Tesla. Well, not even the Tesla, what was that new? It was a car that was done electrically. I mean, yeah. uh, do you know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's the best example, right? Take something that everyone knows, has, needs and understands and reimagine it. Like the fact mm. that everything's been taken is like the least barrier ever, ever, ever. I mean, I'm sat in a room at the moment, right? I can see cushions, I can see bags, I can see cups, I can see lamps, I can see uh, books, things that we had a hundred years well I didn't have 100 years ago did we <laughs> things that we had you know many many years ago and things that we'll continue to have we will always have the need for those things but they will evolve so mm. I, I I would never I think it's like brave stroke crazy stroke only really the pursuit of someone who's got a genius idea to start something that is completely new I would always advise someone to not start something new but to go mm-hmm. with something that's been reimagined and actually then people the next problem they'll come back is I'll say do you know for example uh tables I mean I'm looking at a side table I don't know a company that is amazing brilliant sustainable beautifully designed side tables and they'll go no no that's right and then they'll go off and do their research and come back and they'll go oh well Acme Limited in Sweden doing it. And I'm like, yeah, but I haven't heard of them. Have you? No. Yep. Well, have you have you heard of them? No. Have you heard of them? No. Well, then I'm sorry, they're not doing it well enough. And mm. and, and so that, that's the thought process. But those thoughts for you and I are quite normal. We can see something, we can believe in it, we can push through it. You've got to have that sort of, that kind of slightly bullish, slightly confident attitude. And you've also, I think, got to really subscribe to sort of 80% and done uh, mentality. The other thing that I think definitely stops people is then the perfectionism. So Mm -hmm. they'll stop at something where I'd go, oh, do you know what? You wanted to start with 20 tables, but actually you could only afford to produce three. So so just go with three. Oh, no, no, but, you know, I figured out 20 is the right number. Well, you can't afford 20, so go with three. So it's that sort of just move forward, even if you're not, you know, you're not doing it in the optimum way that you started. You know, you wanted to do black tables. Well, actually, you can only do brown ones. Well, find find a way that you can do it in brown. That's the third thing I would say that definitely stops people is is a perfectionist attitude. Mm. Um, and yeah, then the and next... I think that perfection. Sorry, I think to that point about perfectionist attitude, I think people would hear that and say, "Oh, yeah, no, no, that's not why I can't start." Or, or, and I completely agree with you. I think the perfectionist of saying it has to be, I think it's basically magnified because of being digital, because of the world, because of you know we can see whether it's the number of views or the number of followers or whatever i think that is also a barrier where people say actually yeah unless it's perfect i can't put out my first episode or i can't put out my business idea or whatever because everyone's gonna see it and the reality is as we know that's not gonna happen like not everyone's gonna see it nobody really cares what everybody else is doing but also it's like yeah you're starting from day one if you look at anybody's work anybody's business anybody's writing whatever 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And you go to their first one. It's probably no nothing like you know. It might be terrible, but it doesn't matter. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Not expecting to start with it being ten out of ten. It doesn't matter if you start and it's crap. It's better than not starting at all. Well, there's this brilliant concept in the business world called minimum viable product. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah, yeah, of course. MVP, of course. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, you know. So just to, to explain, just to explain to anyone who doesn't, you know, you would start with something that, like, the smallest, leanest way of getting your idea to market, and then you iterate from that. And and actually, the digital world allows you to do that more than ever before. In fact, if you're forced into doing something one day a week, that would force you to do it more than ever before. So you don't, you know, you're not making those big bets. There's no need to make those big bets anymore. And I do think you always need a backup. I always, in my head, need a backup for if something goes wrong. I like to have a plan B, if not a plan C and a plan D. And I remember thinking with Neil, if nobody likes it, I'll just go to the market in like, you know, Shoreditch and, and sell everything for the next however many weekends. There's always, if you can think through your plan B, not being, you know, doomsday from day one, but I think that sometimes can help give you some confidence that it won't be that bad if it doesn't work out perfectly. Yeah, and you know what, again, I love when you said reimagining, doing it better and not reinventing the wheel. And actually, if I always I often say when I talk to people about specifically in, I don't know if it's, you know, a new feature or a new product or, you know, sometimes even advertising campaigns, you know, I've got friends that work in advertising and sometimes that, you know, they'll read a brief and it sounds so bizarre and so you know you're trying to come up with this thing that no one's ever seen or done and actually i always say to them well maybe there's a reason that because no one's seen and done that because exactly. nobody wants that so for example if you're like and this is a crazy example but let's say ice cream for kids breakfast you know kids breakfast like nobody no, one, there's no one's ever, well i was gonna say on the one hand people would be like oh no one's ever done that but it's like yeah because nobody wants that like who is going to give their kids ice cream for breakfast oh, or you know <laughs> with one person <laughs> or like I don't know people when they try and merge two things together that don't yeah, really go right. so for example they might say like comedy and then they're trying to make some you know I don't know they're trying to sell this product yeah. which may be about uh, I don't know a medical condition or something something serious and they're like oh let's make Over it funny and you're like yeah and you just think why are you trying to make this thing of like a mishmash of because no one's ever done it it's like well maybe there's a reason for that you know it's kind of like Absolutely. let's not be too um too Just, clever. Yeah. I think I think you've got to keep things simple. I mean, I, I've definitely figured out from even when we're explaining a product, the simpler that we can make it, the better it resonates because people don't have time. And people, you know, people think no matter what demographic they are or how much money they have, you know, we are we're intrinsically aware of value now, even sort of the higher end shoppers. So there's there's thought, real thought behind money that's spent on all sort of levels and demographics there's very little time so i think you've always got to be respectful of people's time and their needs and not you know throwing a whole load of products into the world that the that the, that the environment doesn't need and mm. those things are very important nowadays 
um, what's going to save people time, what's going to make their lives better, what's the pain points that you can help with, and what's the responsible thing in terms of what you're actually creating and putting out there yeah being intentional and speaking of being intentional you know i want to know nicola how you personally approach decision making and and big decisions because i think when it comes to entrepreneurship once you have a certain level of success you're going to get lots of opportunities so maybe within your business that could be creating more products you know new things new features new um i don't know you could do a well-being experience you could do your own neon retreats you could do a podcast you could probably get asked to you know mentor and all these things you could do in business but then even on a personal level you know there's more opportunities that come when you have more success and so on and so on but how do you decide what not to do I think is just as important if not more important than than how we decide what to do so I would love to know from you somebody who's incredibly successful and managing lots of different things how you approach making big decisions yeah well I think you have to have some integrity in the things that you're going to put your name to and 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 a standard that you're happy with and then you also have to know that you know really all of these things are one percent inspiration 99 percent perspiration so yeah sure i could come up with enough ideas this afternoon that give the team work for the next five years but that is the point you know there's a huge amount of workflow that comes out of all of these ideas And so we have to assess the level of the idea, the impact of the idea, and that will be have a commercial impact, it will have a brand impact. Um, And then we have to sort of weigh that against the level of um, of work it's going to take to 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 get that sort of product off the ground or get that show on the road. we definitely see it when it comes to opening stores, for example, as much as products. Products, they need enough time to be explained to people. You can't just be launching something every week and then for people to go, oh, I didn't see that, I didn't hear that, I didn't have enough time or or a store, you know, and it and it hasn't, you've only had two people working on it and not five and it's not been done to the right standards. All of these things, you have to be really, really aware of the impact to make them to execute them with the right level of excellence that you want and your brand deserves and so those sort of three things i think always go into decision making making process after how cool is the idea obviously Mm. but it's not the judgment of how cool something is or how great it is then would go next to those sort of three things loosely as kind of guardrails and and then you know you, you and by the way those decisions aren't made by me they're made collectively because it's not me who really really knows the impact of moving a warehouse from one place to another or Hmm. you know when you're moving a warehouse you're doing something behind the scenes the impact that that's got on starting a new territory so you've got to really then leave a lot of that you get the experts in the business to say listen i know it doesn't sound like a big job to you but let me tell you what's involved in it so i think respecting that old adage of that kind of one percent inspiration 99 percent perspiration um Hmm. is really really important when it comes to prioritizing fewer bigger is always always the best yeah i think that is a challenge for so many people right now whether they're working in a startup whether they're a small business owner or even just a solo entrepreneur i think that is the real challenge is you've got to be everywhere you've got to do all of the things you should be doing you know you know that idea that actually doing fewer things bigger and better is i just think is 
is maybe the the minority right now. I feel like most people that I hear, it's like, okay, you've got to show up here. You've got to write a book. You've got to have a podcast. You've got to have TikTok. Why haven't you got TikTok? You've got to have a product that you can sell. You've got to have a website. People are literally like, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to have 73 things. And actually yeah, I agree with you. I think you've got to understand the opportunity cost of not doing those things right and i think when you really understand that then you will genuinely understand the importance of prioritizing so if you go and mm. say right well i'm going to do I mean, for you for example a book another podcast about something that's a slight offshoot and something else and you haven't got the time to do those what is the v damage to the brand when those things mess up and those things mess up because you haven't given them their time enough time and effort and i think you've got to really understand that and not just think oh i can do it i can run around and and make it all happen really really think through because we've genuinely done that and actually for my in my case you launch something and you don't give it the attention and it doesn't do well then actually what i've done is i've not just sort of oh well never mind that that you know that fragrance didn't work or something I then have got incorrect data as to whether that will ever work in the future. So yes. the opportunity cost is, is much bigger than you really think. It's not about just stretching yourself too, too thin or, or working too hard mm. and burning out. Of course, that's important. But from a business point of view, you've got to understand that that's the problem as well. And so yeah. I think you've got to really drill that into your head. Otherwise, the temptation is just to go, yes, I hear it, I hear it, but I, I'm a bit of a harder worker and I'm better plate spinner than everyone else and therefore I'll do it. I've done it a million times. Yeah, oh God, honestly, this is why you see you are the powerhouse and had so much success that you've had at Neon because <laughs> honestly, I feel like if other, you know, I worked in mistakes. No, but I think it's more about, you know, I've worked in a startup, I worked in a startup for four and a half years. And I think, you know, for some people, maybe it's frustrating when you've got loads of ideas, you know, no one's short of ideas. If you walk into a startup, you know, I go and talk to lots of different companies and they're never short of ideas. And I think it can be frustrating if you're like, you know, I've got this great idea for a campaign or for a marketing idea or for a new product feature, or, you know, why can't we do it? Why can't we do it? Why can't we do it? And I think exactly if people could understand that, as you said, all of the work that comes to really give things their full time and attention to let them have even just the lead time, the run up time, you know, when people have an idea and it's like, oh, we can do it in two weeks. And actually, it's like, no, you need six months to, yeah, to share the, the messaging and everything. I think it's really important because the world, as we know, everything's quick, 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 quick. And I don't think there's a lot of people that are saying, actually, do less, do it better, like strip Definitely. it back, keep it simple. And just, you know, the, look, like I said, look at the success that you've had uh, Neon by, by doing that. And listen, we, we've had success, but we've definitely we've definitely made loads and loads of mistakes. So I, I absolutely have felt things go wrong because we internally say things need enough time in the sun. You know, they need to have that time mm. in the sun. And um, and when when they've not had that time, I've absolutely been on the on the receiving end of thinking, oh, God, it's failed. And furthermore, the more frustrating thing is not that it's failed, but is that I didn't do the right test. So now I'm going to have to repeat the bloody test. So I've had a <laughs> failure and I'm having to eat into next year's marketing calendar or the year after. And I don't have that data. And that's that's the frustrating thing. So things need that. And people are to, to what we said before, people generally are you have to dumb everything down and that's not saying people aren't that smart people just haven't got the time so you know you think it's your world and everyone of course has got all the time in the world to in the to digest this new information about this great new product or whatever and then you also think 
you know, it's a month, it's been a month, that's a long time, but take your hat off and actually your messaging, which is quite complicated. And that short amount of time, you might have seen it once on one Instagram post or, and then, and it's gone. So you've got to keep going to the customer's point of view and, and realizing that these things need to be longer and be simpler and yeah, enough time in the sun. Mm, I love that. I'm going to write that down. I think it's important for <laughs> myself as well to remember to yeah give things their their moment in the sun. I love that. I guess because we are sadly, I feel like I could talk to you all day about business, about your approach. I absolutely love it. I guess one more question that I had that I guess again on a more personal note is how you approach as a founder this elusive work-life balance that everybody kind of talks about. It's a hot topic always. I think for the last decade, I've heard people talk about work-life balance, but in reality, we all have to, you know, figure out what that looks like for us and, and then allow ourselves to just not judge ourselves and just go, this is what, this is what's working for me right now. And this is, you know, what I've got to, to give to both work, life, friends, family, social health, working out all the things. So Nicola, how do you at the moment approach your work life balance and what lessons have you learned and, and implemented? Well, first of all, do you know what? I'm actually always tempted to not answer this question on the basis that it's never asked to men. And I find that really, really frustrating. Not to you, because I know I know that people are interested in the answer, but I just wish we asked it to either all men and women or we didn't mm. ask it at all. Or that, mm. sorry, but I always feel the need to make that point. Having said that, I am always interested myself and I'm interested from, from men as much as I am from women. I think I'm quite sloth-like in that I'm very good at doing an 80-20 on everything. It's actually one of our company mottos and I'm not an evangelist by any manner of means and I think when you take that sort of out of the equation for me and it's different for different people it makes life a little bit easier I just take that pressure off myself thing I, I rumble through most weeks dropping loads of balls and I am fine with that and I think attitudinally that's a really really important thing for me now listen the next person might not be able to live with that but that works for me um I also obviously as someone who has a well-being brand talk an awful lot about well-being toolkit and I feel very strongly that that's something that I can't tell you five things and you can't tell me five things we're different people different stages of our lives different ages different pressures different times of the month for god's sake we have different needs and so I think finding what that toolkit is for yourself early on and, and make sure that I talk about this with, with my kids all the time um, is really really important because you might like to run for as I know you do for you know 20 miles at six in the morning and that's amazing but <laughs> I wish I was like that but I'm not so I go to you know my little hip class three times a week for 40 minutes and that works for me the next person might never like drinking alcohol because that's you know just doesn't work for them and that's fine too I rather like a nice bottle of wine on a Friday night one person likes one supplement, the next person likes another supplement. It doesn't matter. It's meant to be different. We're different humans with different needs. But I think finding that kit for yourself is really, really important because they're very real things that you can do to keep your life on track, even when it, as it always will do, goes a little bit off track. And so 
yeah. that for me always feels very comforting, you know, that I'm, I'm committed to kind of learning and developing my own brain, that I always have some sort of creative outlet, that I always move for 30 minutes a day, that I have an eye on what I eat, that I get out in the sun for the first couple of hours just for a walk or something. I have these things that I know work for me and make me feel better. And they're not horrible things either. They're things that are nice and make me feel good. And so I think that's really, really important and something that we, we, we didn't speak about five years ago, certainly not 10 years ago. Mm. So so I do have that aspect of my life that's really, really important. And um, so I think, yeah, I think it's about sort of really making sure that you look at things in the right way. It's not what you... It's not what you look at; it's what you see, and and I'm 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 a firm believer of that. And you've got this great opportunity to see things in any way you want to. It's your choice. So, yes. um, you know, that's that's my yeah. that's my view. Yeah, I like it. I like the. I really like the the fact that you're saying. You know what? Actually. I drop balls. I'm okay with that. Because also I think when you do that, you also allow others to make mistakes. You know, you allow other people to go, you know, for example, I don't know, people in your team, I'm sure if they know that that's your approach, I'm not saying, you know, I'm sure they're very, you know, they care, they're going to do their best, but far better someone drops the ball and goes, you know what, Nicola, I've got to be honest. I'm so sorry. I missed that. Or I forgot about it or whatever happened. Then actually try and cover it up and go, oh my gosh, she's going to kill me. I've got to pretend everything's fine. When actually we all make mistakes. We're all going to forget things sometimes. And, you know, as someone who, I'll be honest I am quite an A-type you know list maker you, no surprise to know that you know I I, I don't know I, I kind of put a lot of pressure on myself with certain things I'll always say that you know I don't like to miss deadlines I give myself deadlines and then I give myself false deadlines to make sure that five days before the deadline <laughs> I've done the thing but you nutter I know but it's been a real lesson for me in the last few years I think especially as a parent as well that when you allow yourself to make mistakes you allow others to and you're not so quick to scold others if they make a mistake is you're like actually we all make mistakes and I think that must be a really nice um a nice environment to work in yeah and I think also being able to say listen you're that type and I'm this type by the way there's not a best yeah. you know that works for you this works for me I'd love to be a bit more like you I'm sure you'd probably like to be a bit more relaxed at times it, it, you know it, it's recognizing I suppose where you're good where you're less so and sort of not giving too much of a shit about the difference yeah. and I think it's just it's work at the end of the day it has to be your career at, for me has been the most fulfilling amazing aspect of my life bar having my children mm. and that's worked for me because I've made it work for me because I've enjoyed it and it's empowered me and it's only going to do that if you've got if you make it work for you you know yeah. you, you can't stick to hard and fast rules that are outside of your your personality type because there's no longevity in that it's not going to work for you long term and it's a marathon yes yes oh my gosh me too actually on the career point and I always say to people that it's not like school you know at school that was like there's one way and you have to do it this way and you have to tick this box otherwise you you know you pass or you fail it's not school and I think if people could understand that it's so as you said empowering and you know I get so much from the work I do and and just being able to do it my way and like you said not one way is right or wrong but just doing it your own way I think is yeah is so liberating and exciting and you can you don't have to as you say it doesn't have to be a slog you know you don't have to dread Mondays and and you know your work doesn't have to be a, a slog you can really really yeah change your whole life actually with, with yeah. what you choose to do yeah 
you should craft it you should craft it for the life you want to live that's the that's the goal yeah so yeah And so my final question for you is, of course, about the power hour. So we've just discussed how we might have different energies, different work styles, different approaches. And I love hearing from all the guests on this show about their morning routine, what they do with the first hour of the day, what they avoid. So Nicola, tell us, what do you typically do in the first hour of your day? And what time does your day start? So I am at the moment doing the Neon Perfect Night Sleep Plan. So this is very opportune. You should ask me this question. And one of the non-negotiable rules to getting a great night's sleep is making sure that you get out in the sunlight. And by the way, that doesn't, doesn't have to just be a sunny day. It means in the natural light in the first hour or so of waking up. And the importance of that is the effect that the sun has on your actual retina and your brain. Mm. And so um, we developed this program actually with Nick Whitten and I've been doing this. And honestly, there's 11 golden rules to getting the best night's sleep. That was the one that I thought was going to be really, really difficult. And it's been amazing. It's made a massive, massive difference to, honestly, to my life. It's yeah. been getting outside in that first hour or hour and a half. So this morning, I did my morning calls on a walk quite often. I've no, no one typical day. So it'll be meetings of some kind most days. But to do that, either on my teams as I'm walking along or I'm sat at a cafe having a cup of tea or I'm in the garden or I'm walking along, I make sure I do that. And that is absolutely critical. I will do that after I've done the school run because my kids need dropping off at half seven in the morning, which is very tedious. So we have to get up at half six to go to school. So half six, then drop them off and then do that. That's my morning routine. And then I like to go to the gym. I like to then break and go to the gym at 9.30, 9.30 to 10.30. And that will then take me into being in the office. Mm. Well, it's it, as you know, I'm a big advocate of sleep and a big advocate of people getting to bed early so they can get up early. And, you know, anyone who's read the Power Hour book, there's a whole chapter in there on sleep. And it's so important and, and true what you say about natural light in the morning. And actually there's so much research and data and stats and there's all these things that can tell you but until you feel it for yourself until you go and you do that walk or you get outside or you know for dog walkers for example dog walkers you know statistically they'll talk about having less low mood and less depression and yes of course there's the companionship of an animal but it's also the fact that when that dog wakes up in the morning especially if they're a puppy you have to get outside first thing in the morning to take them out and so people getting outside for walking for you know fresh air daylight regardless of whether it's you know we're going into the, the later months of the year, the winter, we're going to be more inclined to spend more time indoors, you know, less time outside. And I think for anyone who, yeah, if, whether you're a troubled sleeper or not, if you want to get good sleep and yeah, wake up with the energy to take on the day and do all the things while you listen to this show, then yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope that people will hear that and say, actually, yeah, even if it's getting cold, I'm still going to get out there in the morning makes a massive massive difference absolutely i've loved this conversation nicola as i said and i knew that i would so thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time that's quite all right thanks for asking me and massive congratulations on the wedding it's a beautiful <laughs> wedding thank Wish you. you all the love and happiness in the world thank you i am still honestly i'm still absolutely reliving it every day i feel like how long can i keep talking about it it's only been 10 days <laughs> 
Oh, no, 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 no. Keep going. See, this needs more time in the CERN, Adrian. Well, yeah, I have you to thank, Nicola. I'm going to continue to talk about it, continue to post pictures and videos and just keep talking to all my friends about it because, yeah, I was, yeah, it was just so wonderful. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in, for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others. That is how we grow the Power Hour podcast. So share it with people. Send them a link on WhatsApp. Put it on your Instagram stories. Whatever it is, share the Power Hour message and take action on some of the things that you you have heard today i'll be back next week with a brand new episode take care see you planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.